Welcome to the teaching ministry of Rev. Daryl Baker, pastor of Christian Faith Fellowship. Pastor Baker is fulfilling the call of God on his life to preach the Word of God without compromise. Raising up disciples who through faith in God will have a powerful impact on our world. May you be blessed through the message that Pastor Baker has to share with you today. May God's very best be yours. James 4, we're down to just a couple parts left on this series. I have a lot of other things to get into. We're going to be talking about uh, prayer. I'm actually praying now over, I uh, really feel like a, a urge to get back into uh, some healing series as well that we're going to talk about. Uh, on, understand that receiving the Word of God is something so significant to our life that even if it's something that you've learned or understood or developed in before, it's continual hearing that causes us to maintain faith and development of what we have, but it's not always just for us as well. It's to help us to be able to employ that into other people's lives by being reminded of what God's truth says. James chapter 4, if you're there, say amen. In James chapter 4, he tells us very clearly here in verse 6, he gives more grace, God does. What's grace here? Heaven's help, what we could not do. I want to emphasize this tonight. We're going to talk about dealing with sin in a way that you may have never heard before. Because most people, when you just talk about sin, it's just about the act of. But sin for God is not the focus of the act of. It's the intent behind it. And this is something powerful to understand because the devil loves to hinder people from receiving help from God when they sin. And I want to help you get all the help. I want to help you to get all the help you need in your life, including in dealing with sin. Amen? Amen. So he gives more grace. Therefore, he says, God does what? Resists the proud, gives grace to the humble. Now, we got to always deal with this when we talk about pride and humility from a biblical perspective. Because pride in the, for, the forever in the world system of way of looking at things is to obviously exalt oneself. That's true. Pride here is putting yourself above relating to yourself above what God says. But guess what else? Pride is also diminishing yourself below. And a lot of people don't see that or know that, but that's true. Pride is simply to say, here's the easiest way to look at what pride is. Pride is, <clears throat> I believe what I believe. Instead of what God says about me. You listening? I believe my way instead of the way God said I believe what I obviously can accomplish instead of what God could help me to accomplish. Paul said, when I'm weak, then I'm strong. What did he mean by that? I'm not relying on my ability. I'm not relying on me. I'm, I've learned, Paul learned, I've learned that if I rely on my ability, I guarantee you I'm not going to get very far. He walked through all that all of his religious life as a Hebrew of the Hebrews. And then he learned, if I begin to understand the significance of what it means to humble myself to God, then I'm not relying on my strength. I'm weak. I'm weak. I'm not, relying, I'm not pulling on my strength. And when I truly come to that place where I'm not trying to do it on my own, that's when I'm really strong. Because now God's, God's help, God's strength kicks in. So he gives grace to the humble. Then he tells us in verses 7 and 8, four keys to Bible humility. One, submit to God and in doing so, you are resisting the devil. He will flee from you. We've gone over that in detail. Two, draw near to God. We talked about that this morning. Draw near to God and he will do what? So, so let me emphasize it again. What does it mean biblically? What does every aspect of what we saw this morning in us seeing God come near to us by us drawing near to him imply? We're aware of his presence. We're not drawing near to God if we're not aware of his presence. If we come to church and we're never aware of his presence in the midst of the service, we're not near, drawn near to God. Tomorrow morning when you get up, hopefully you'll spend some time with God somewhere in the day, talking about just time with him. You ought to talk to him all throughout the day. But I'm just saying, you should, I guarantee you what, man, you should set up your day by starting to focus on him and get aware of his presence. In the bull riding world, you know, realize that the, one of the most significant, there's like only a handful, really, seriously. There's only a handful of a few key things you got to know to be successful as a bull rider. 
Really, it's not like real complicated. It's not like a bunch of stuff you got to figure out. And one of those things is the first jump out of that chute is significant. If you're late getting out of that chute, you're already in trouble. And if you're on a rank bull, forget it. He's, he's already got you. You're already behind. And on a rank bull, you can't catch up. They're too strong. You, you can't overpower 1,800 pounds of bull. You listening? But when you're, when you're set up and where you need to be and in the right position leaving that chute, there's a term in bull riding called taking the power away. Because you can't overpower 1,800 pounds of bull. Been there, done that. You know what happens when you try to over 1800, overpower 1,800 pounds of bull? You wind up becoming a slingshot. Or as Donnie Gay says, a yard dart. Remember yard darts? Does anybody, did ever, anybody ever had yard darts? How dangerous were those things? <laughs> Man, they talk about things. That, are you kidding me? Remember how heavy they were? Big old metal, sharp, pointed with the fins on them. And you had circles, remember those? And you had to throw them and try to land them in circles. And, you're, and there's all kids around, man. And, and not everybody's that accurate when they throw them. And you throw them way up in the air, you know. And most of the kids ain't even watching. All of a sudden, whoop, right beside them. Whoa. <laughs> Yard dart. Donnie Gay always talks about the fact, you know, when you get, you know, slammed on the ground from a bull, it's like a yard dart. I got on a bull one time. I'm going somewhere with this, so don't, don't let me bore you. All, almost all the kids knew at one time I was a bull rider. Kind of glad they didn't know I was a rock hauler because really that's what I was. But, but realize that, uh, the significance of the power of what a bull relationship to a human, 150 pounds to 1,800, means in the context of the natural when you talk about physics. I got on a bull one time called Kiss Me. This bull rearranged Charlie Sampson's face. He busted every bone in his face except his nose. I don't know how he didn't break his nose because he busted his cheekbones, his forehead. He actually, the, 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 the doctor said that he literally drove his forehead at the time back about a quarter of an inch. Wow. And I mean, he had to have all reconstructive face surgery, several reconstructive face surgery. And this was in front of Ronald Reagan. Oh, wow. This was at a presidential rodeo. It wasn't even for money. It was just an, ex, an ex, uh, exhibition thing. And lo and behold, I, I asked him, I said, what in the world was this crazy contractor thinking to bring Kiss Me to an exhibition thing? To do an exhibition thing, you know what you bring? Nice little cool spinner bulls that everybody can ride and look good on. No. And they tell Charlie, you got Kiss Me. And he's like, at the presidential rodeo? Are you serious? Of course, he's already showed up, you know. But I got on him. I got on him at a little uh, town called Rosemont. It's a suburb of Chicago, Illinois. And I asked Charlie, because, you know, I, I knew Charlie had been on him, of course. So I asked Charlie, I said, uh, tell me what I need to know. He said, don't get a hold of this bull. What do you mean by that? Don't get a hold. You hear these people t all the time say, oh, you got to use your spurs, use your spurs. Uh-uh. No, I guarantee you, man, there's guys that ride bulls really good. Now, those spurs will help you. But, you don't. again, you're not overpowering 1,800 pounds of bull. You don't have the power to do it. He said, don't get a hold of him with your spurs. He said, if he turns back, good. If he doesn't, hang on, because this sucker gets to rocking like he did with Charlie. He said, he's going to bring you. I don't know how you're going to get away from it, even, you know, even what we call pushing off with your hand, kind of using your arm as a shock absorber. But if he turns back, he said, if you get a hold of him, you're in trouble. He'll drill you. He's going to bring you, because there's just no way you can overpower him. Well, he turned back with me. I made two rounds, and I started spurring him, and that was a mistake, because when I did, all of a sudden, my weight started shifting to the outside. I became a yard dart really fast. It was one of my three concussions. I, the, the ground was so hard. That's how hard he slammed me in the ground. I got up, kind of didn't really know where I was at. Somebody got me behind the chutes. And literally, I knew nobody there. I flew there by myself. Uh, almost nobody wanted to seem to really want to go rodeo that hard at that time. And so I was there by myself. A guy said, you okay? I said, yeah, I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm fine. Normally, they take you to the hospital, you know, and have you sit at the hospital, you know, for the night and come in every 30 minutes and say, what's your name? How old are you? Where are you from, you know? But I didn't have that. So I just went to the hotel, flew back home with a concussion. But I'm here to tell you something. You got to understand this. Guess what? Why, why do we need God's grace? Because you can't overpower naturally. You listening? You, you're going to take on life by yourself with your own power. It's like trying to ride that 1,800-pound bull by your strength. See, as a bull rider, you can't overtake, over, overcome that power. So you have to learn how to compensate to actually take away from that power from that bull where he's not yanking on you, where you're really just kind of floating along with him. That's a lot more to talk about. But I'm trying to use the example to say, if you're trying to do things with your strength in life, it's like trying to take on an 1,800-pound bull and overpower him. Not going to do it. But thank God we got God's grace. <clears throat> I said we got God's grace. All we got to do is what? Be humble. So number two, what's, what's the key to being humble? Draw near to him, which means what? I'm aware of his presence. 
So I, ta- I gave you all kinds of ways to do that this morning. I can't re-preach that. I won't have time. I'll run out of time to finish tonight. But I want you to move on to the next one. The next one, number three, cleanse your hands, you sinners. Yep. And this is separate, purify your hearts, you double-minded. So he's referred, excuse me, he's referred to two different people, sinners, double-minded. Wait a minute. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Isn't this written to believers? Yes, it is. And I'm going to explain here in a minute. See, a lot of people would read that and they would think one of two things. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Oh, he can't be talking to believers because I'm not a sinner. Well, that's true. You're not a sinner as a believer. But he is writing to believers. So what's he referring to here? Well, that must mean he's talking about those people who are living in sin. True in a sense, but not really. Not in the context. Because I'm going to show you in a minute... That if all this refers to is I have to cleanse my hands from sin. Listen, if I have to cleanse myself from sin to be humble, to get God's help, how am I going to get out of the sin? Because if I'm the one having to cleanse myself from the sin, if I'm the one having to cleanse myself from the sin, I'm doing it. I'm not getting God's help to do it. See how backward that is? That I have to cleanse myself of sin to get humble enough to get God's help. No, you need God's help to get free from the sin. So this can't mean that you and I have to get out of all sin to get help from God because if that was true, we wouldn't have need Jesus to come to begin with. If I could have got out of sin on my own, see, I'm not going to call you up here. I'm not going to interview you. I, there, is no, there is no from the outward perspective. Now, we talk different about this on Wednesday because talking about looking at the inward man. There's nobody outwardly perfect yet. There's no Christian perfect yet. I don't know, maybe... You are in sense that what you think of relating to how you live your life. Well, I don't live in sin. When's the last time something came out of your mouth that shouldn't have? When's the last time you thought about something you shouldn't have? See, when's the last time that you obviously allowed your flesh to get control of you and say something in relationship to somebody else you probably shouldn't have, done something you shouldn't have done? So realize that none of us are perfected as a whole, and that's why we need God's help. So to cleanse, notice again the phrase, cleanse your Hands, cleanse your hands, you sinners. So this is you, in essence, he's saying, cleansing yourself of something to do with sin so you can stay humble and get God's help. Well, it can't be just cleansing myself of the act of sin. Because again, if I could have done that by my own willpower. You know how many people try to overcome sin by their own willpower? Been there, done that. Anybody else ever tried that? And guess what? Especially if it's a stronghold, it don't work. It don't work. When we try to convince people, you got to get out of sin and stay out of sin, what we're saying is, you got to do it. You got to do it. Well, you need to get out of sin. Well, what are you saying? You got to do it. Well, you got to understand, God's going to be the one to help you do it. How do we get his help? Humility. In understanding what this phrase means, to cleanse your hands, you sinners. Or, in other words, cleansing yourself from what he's talking about as it relates to what he's looking at about us that would make us look to, in a sense, like look like we're a sinner. I don't mean by what you do, because God don't look at the outward. How many know that? God looks at the heart. This is why verse 9, lament and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Why does he say this? Like he wants us to be gloomy? He, he, he doesn't want us to have laughter. He doesn't want us to have joy. Now, see, this relates to the issue of dealing with sin. So lament, mourn, and weep simply means, this is, you're going to see this, I'm going to do my best to try to convey this to you tonight, and I'm going to show you some other verses that will help us, that if you did a cross-reference to this verse, will take you right to these verses as well. But here's what he's saying. He's saying that you have to deal with your view of sin. Easiest way I can say it. You've got to deal with your view of sin, how you view it. Because if you're somebody who is actually in any way doing things sinful and your view is, it's no problem. Your view is, well, that's really not sin. I know other people say it is, but I don't think it is. Or your view is, it really doesn't matter because I'm saved by grace. See, there's a lot of different views about sin. What God's saying here to humble yourself by cleansing your hands of sin is your view of it. That if you don't have a view of understanding that sin should make you feel bad, convicted, it should not be something you enjoy, it should not be something that you want to get away with, it should not be something you want to do, it should be something you want to get out of your life. Lament, mourn, and weep. 
What do you mean? So he's saying there are those who continue to live in sin and they actually, in relationship to what they think about it, they think they're fine because I'm having fun living in sin. Well, sin's fun for a season. But he's saying if you're doing that, guess what? You can't get my help. You can't get my help. So what do we got to do? Take the same view of sin that God has. If we don't take the same view of sin that God has, we can't get God's help to get us free from the sin. So this is what he's referring to when he talks about following there in verse 9. Lament, mourn, and weep. Let your laughter, laughter be turned. Laughter meaning what? So people, you ever heard anybody going off partying, getting drunk and laughing and all that kind of stuff? Yeah, is getting drunk a sin? Is getting drunk a sin? You know how many Christians have no problem with drinking? You know, you know how many Christians have no problem with getting intoxicated? Right? Laugh about party, party, party. He's saying, listen, I can't help you in that area of your life because you don't view this the way I do. Well, if you don't view it the way he does, guess what you're not doing? You're not seeing eye to eye. How are you going to get his help? You're not. And in truth, most people in that sense don't even think they need God's help. But they do. I said they do. And allowing that allows a foothold for Satan. If Satan can get you in a position to start going into a, a, a positioning of choosing willfully to sin when you know it's wrong, guess what he's doing? He's tearing you down from a spiritual perspective and he's pulling you right back into your carnal flesh to be ruled by your carnal flesh. Because <clears throat> you're going by what your will is, not God's. So when we look at sin as a believer, God opened my eyes up to so many things about this the other day. When we look at sin as a believer... Yes, it's right to say, if I, if I see somebody doing something the Bible says is sin, and I say, that's sinful, you shouldn't do that. What, you know what the average person says today when you say that. What do they tell you? You're judging me. Am I? No. I'm judging you if I say, you got a problem, man. You better get this out of your life, man. You, better, you know how many times we've told people this? And you know what? That's not what you should be telling them. Because if you're telling them to get it out of their life, again, they don't need God. Isn't that right? Yeah. If something was sitting in the room, say, you need to go get that out of the room. Well, you're not asking for anybody else to help you get it. You're telling them to go get it out of the room. <coughs> if we want to help people get out of sin, including ourselves, we've got to realize we need God's grace. Amen. And to get God's grace, we've got to view sin the way that God wants us to view sin recognizing what is sin, recognizing that we clearly, because most of you know this, although this goes back even to the New Testament days. Uh, it's, not, it's nothing new. Even though you're saved by grace, it doesn't make sin okay. Right? And you don't just pray a prayer and then you get to go live any way you can. You don't, then you go live any way you want and suffer no consequences. God will bless you for it anyway. God's already blessed you, but you're hindering his ability to fully help you. And Satan wants this because Satan does not want you getting more help from God. We got to quit looking at sin as just the external act. You listening? We, we should not look at it as just an external act. We need to look at the motive behind why we're doing it. And if the motive is, well, I don't see anything wrong with it. I know everybody else says it's wrong, but I don't believe that. My God wouldn't care if I do this. My God wouldn't. Well, obviously, they're doing what? They're choosing to live a lifestyle of their own that's in disagreement with God. Can God help them in that area? He cannot because they're not in agreement. See how simple that is to understand? And or I can do it. It doesn't matter because after all, God said he'll forgive me. Well, he will if you confess it. But what if you don't confess it and repent and turn from it? I want more of heaven's help. I don't know about you, but I have still continued to deal with stuff in my flesh. I still have issues of frustrations and things in my flesh that tries to get to me, things that tries to get to me in the way I respond to people. Maybe it's just me. Sorry that I'm not the perfect pastor yet. But I'll guarantee you, everybody has a flesh to deal with. Now, I guarantee you, there's a lot of stuff out of my life that I used to do. I'm not saying that you shouldn't see some advancement you should, you should, and you shouldn't be in a position of leadership if you're still just dealing with all different kinds of sin. I mean, if I got in the pulpit every single week and continue to cuss, cuss in your relationship to my language, use all kinds of, you know, foul statements and all kinds of foul examples and, you know, uncouth things that we would bring up, obviously it would be a sign, maybe something wrong that pastor probably shouldn't be pastoring the church here. 
Amen? Amen. If, if I had Kathy sitting up front and another woman sitting next to her and you're all wondering, well, who's she? Well, she's my other girl. No. <laughs> <laughs> how many you know you probably shouldn't be in that church? So, <laughs> see, I knew that gets your, I knew that gets your attention. Kathy's still on the lover, uh, lover, not a fighter thing. She had no idea what I'm even talking about. Josh said that. Now you're getting Josh in trouble. <laughs> now I got to clear that up. I was a lover, not a fighter. What do you mean? I had a friend of mine that I rodeoed with. So my best friend for a number of years that, that I rode with. Every time we went to go to the bars at night to go out drinking, he's looking for a fight. And I'm like, why? Well, I don't know. Just want to fight somebody. Stupid. Stupid. Why do you want to cause pain for other people and pain for yourself? No, I'm a lover. I just soon walk in peace with everybody. I'm not trying to find a fight. You listening? But my point is to say, obviously, there should be some things as a leader that you clearly, according to Scripture, cannot violate to continue to walk in the position of a leader. But that don't mean pastors don't have anything at all that they're still dealing with. You listening? How many times you heard my pastor say, man, this guy so got to me, I wanted to punch him in the forehead. Boy, but I had to deal with myself to not do that because I like to punch. I used to like to punch. He was a fighter. He was, he was, not, he was a fighter. That's why he went to the Marines, by the way, so he could legally hurt people. I'm not joking. That's his testimony, man. But he said, I was a demon-possessed guy, man. You kidding me? So realize you and I have to do what? If we see, this is what I want you to see about verse 9. If we view sin the way God does, we're not joyful about it. It grieves us. It hurts our heart. And it's not something we want to be a part of. We're looking to find a way out. We're looking for help to get free from it. We're not finding an excuse to, to put up with it. We're not finding an excuse to simply do it because we enjoy doing it. You listening? Because if that's true, you're still laughing about it and just thinking it's no big deal. No, he said, you need to come to a place of true Bible uh, grievance in your heart, true Bible repentance in your heart, so that obviously I can then help you to get free from whatever you're dealing with. Amen? Amen. Psalm 24. Psalm 24. It's really helped me even realize how I have even, in trying to address people's sin, telling people, man, you need to get out of that sin. You need to get free from that sin. Well, you know what? If they really wanted to get free and you're sitting there telling them they need to get free, don't you think they'd already be free if they really wanted to? Something's missing. I said, something's missing. So just tell them they need to get free from sins, not the answer. We need to find out how do we get help. How do we get help to do this? Because God said he would give us more help even to deal with sin. All we got to do is do what? We got to have a view of sin based on God's view of sin. That's what he means by clean up your hands, you sinners. Don't be doing things sinful that you think is okay. See it for what it is. And if you do so in relationship to your heart and adjust what you need to do with your life or even look to God in the area of a stronghold for help, he'll help get you free from it. Psalm 24 in Psalm 24, verse 1, it says, The earth is what? The Lord. Earth is the Lord, excuse me, and its fullness, and the world, and those who dwell therein. He, God, has founded it upon the seas, and established it upon the waters. Who may ascend then into the hill of the Lord, or who may stand in his holy place? He who has what? Clean hands, clean hands and... Uh, so if, if all it takes is... Clean hands in the sense somehow I've got to get myself free from sin and have a heart to want to know God. If that's all it takes, then guess what? I didn't need Jesus. But the only way that you get a pure heart is by getting born again. And the only way you get clean hands is with God's help. He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who has not, I want you to underline this please, who has not lifted up his soul to an idol. Now that's the key phrase of this verse. That is the key phrase of this verse about clean hands and a pure heart. You've not lifted up what? Your soul. What's the soul? Mind, will, and emotions. You've not allowed your soul to be lifted up to an idol. I'm going to come back to that. Nor have you sworn deceitfully. Five, he shall receive what from the Lord? Uh-huh. So the key to having clean hands is not lifting my soul up to an idol 
And therefore, I'm not speaking deceitfully. Deceitfully mean what? Even in some cases, people may know that what they're doing is wrong, and yet they say it's not. That's deceitful. People who claim that it's okay to have sex before marriage, that's deceitful if they're a believer. People who claim, again, it's okay to drink alcohol because after all, I don't get drunk. Well, what do we, how do we know? How do we know you don't? Do you have a breathalyzer you keep with you? Right? Well, Jesus drank wine, not the same kind you're thinking of. And it's not, quote, unquote, because God's trying to keep you from something you enjoy. He's just trying to keep something from you that could take advantage of your life and control your life, hurt your life. So understand, this is the key to what we're going to talk about here, is you can't lift up your soul to an idol or swear deceitfully. Five, the person who does not do that will receive what? Tell me out loud, please. Like you're excited about tonight's message. Blessing. What's that? What's that? Heaven's help. Some of you catching up. We'll see blessing from the Lord. That'd be heaven's help. And righteousness from the God of his salvation. This is Jacob. Remember what I told you about this? This morning? Phrase referring to God's people relating to Jacob. This is Jacob, the generation of those who seek him. What do they do? They seek his face. So they're not seeking what his hands can do for them. They want relationship. They want relationship. You will find people that think it's okay to sin, see no issue with sin, see no need to repent for sin, you will find out they don't really seek relationship with God. They don't. It's not what they're after. They're after pleasing their flesh. They're after giving their flesh what what they want. This is why Paul warned in the last days, you'll have many teachers that will tickle your itching ears. As I've told you, one of the most famous preachers of the land has now been telling people, you don't have to repent of sin as a believer. I'm going to show you tonight you do. I'm going to show you why that's important. I'm going to show you if you view sin the way God does, you'll repent every time you sin. And you won't do it because you're trying to earn something from God. You'll do it because you want to maintain the help of God in your life to help you overcome that and deal with that. Amen? So realize this. This famous preacher today is telling Christians, you don't need to repent of sin because you're saved by grace. That's speaking deceitfully. You've lifted up your, listen, listen, you've lifted up your soul to an idol. Help me out. What's an idol? I've told you about this before. It's making a God to fit your life. This is what the problem is with sin. When you all of a sudden don't look at sin the way God does, you start making a God to fit you. You claim it's this God, Jehovah, but it's not. When you start saying, God doesn't care if I do this, and God says he does. You listening? When God says don't do that, he's saying that for what reason, folks? Because that'll hurt your life. Remember the woman caught in adultery? Right? When she came to Jesus, after all her accusers left, he said, where's all your accusers? I don't know, Lord. They're no longer here. He said, neither do I condemn you. Wait a minute. But go and sin no more. Now, she needed to wait, of course, till salvation came to get the power to do that. In relationship to overcoming something in her life that might have been a challenge for her. But he was, what he was saying is, take a different view of sin. And understand, you don't want to keep living in sin because it's hurtful. So that whole purpose was simply say, because I love you, I'm going to define for you what is sin. Say it. Because God loves me, he defines for me what is sin. Guess what we want to do? Go by his definition. But when people all of a sudden say, you don't have to repent... It doesn't matter. You're saved by grace. Well, that's really not sin to begin with. I know people say that, but the Bible doesn't really say that. But what if the Bible does say that? So anything we do to now all of a sudden go contrary to what God says, as you're about to see, the Bible tells you every believer should repent of their sin. And now you got a famous minister telling Christians they don't. You're creating an idol. You're lifting up your soul to an idol. You're creating a God. God says you're to repent. This minister says you don't have to. He'll try to convince you of that by pulling verses here and there out of context. And in doing so, he creates an idol in people's souls and their minds. And what happens is they have a different view than God does of sin. And therefore, they don't see eye to eye with God. And because they don't, they're limiting their ability to get God's help. Can you see this? Can you understand this? So what we don't want to do is lift our soul up to an idol. Meaning what? We don't want to create a God to fit us. We want to learn who our God is and see things the way he does. 
and not any other way. Can I get a better amen? amen. <laughs> One translation of verse 4 says it this way. I like this. Do not long for what is false. Do not long for what is false. Lifting up your soul to an idol is longing for something that's not true. You listening? If you, if you are longing for something that's not true, well, my God doesn't care if I do that. You're longing for something that's not true. That's not true with God, but because you're longing for that thing, guess what you're doing? You're choosing to do your own thing. And in doing so, what are you not doing? Lamenting, mourning, and weeping over sin. You're committing sin and think it's no big deal. There's a lot of people today that still really get upset with even people like myself or Dr. Barclay who still talk about or bring up sin because we're saved by grace. But if we see it the way God does, not lifting up our soul and creating an idol for ourselves, what do you mean lifting up your soul? Where does that, where does that idol get created from? Your mind, your will, and your emotions. Not your spirit, not the born-again child of God. It's from what your flesh wants. From what your flesh desires. Any good amens on that? <clears throat> so you and I have to recognize the importance of this as it relates to our life. Relating to things. <clears throat> Let's define again, just for the sake of <clears throat> everybody's hearing. What is sin? Ultimately, what is it? Missing the mark. <clears throat> God has a mark set that if you hit that mark, you're headed down the right direction. But if you don't, you're going a different direction. When I sin, I'm missing the mark. I'm missing what God intended for my life and I'm going a different route. So you and I got to understand, if we got we to see this route, this way of living, and the way that God sees it, because if we do, God can help us. Any good amens on that? Amen. Go to Isaiah chapter 1. Isaiah chapter 1. Praise the Lord. Amen. We understand when we talk about the sin nature on the inside, God cleanses us with that. You, didn't, you, you don't cleanse, notice what he said, cleanse your hands. This say cleanse your heart, say cleanse your hands. Deal with how you view sin relating to what you obviously think of as sin or what's okay or what's not in relationship to life and that'll help you deal with what you're doing. And then you'll get God's help to help you walk in, walk in victory over it. Isaiah chapter 1. But we understand when we talk about sin, the sin nature of the heart, that God took care of that. Aren't you glad about that? But notice here in Isaiah chapter 1, even referring to what God would do, look what he says here as it relates to what we're still supposed to do in relationship to what we're talking about. So we're just using, as I've taught you for many, many, many years, we just let the Bible interpret the Bible. When he says to have clean hands, we just keep referring to stuff in the Bible that directs us to what that means. So this clean hands thing doesn't mean don't ever sin because if you sin, you can't get God's help. Well, let me help you. If you sin, you need God's help. So if it's like, don't ever sin or I can't get God's help. Well, I have a question for you. If you couldn't get God's help as a sinner, how could you even receive salvation? Because you're a sinner when you get saved. So if you had to get rid of the sin first, before you could get grace to get saved, how would that be possible? It's not. Think about this. This still blows people away. Every person Jesus healed during his earthly ministry, were they sinners? Yes, they were. Not one of them was born again. And yet he healed them. Because they were perfect? Nope. Why did he heal them? Anybody know why he healed them? One, because it was his will. Two, because they believed he could do it. That's all it took. It's his will. He can do it. I receive it. It's that simple. Isaiah chapter 1, verse 16. Wash yourselves. Here we are again. Wash yourselves. Make yourselves clean. Put away the evil of your doings from before my eyes. This again is referring to the fact that you got to recognize what, what he's talking about, putting away evil from before his eyes to wash yourself, put away the evil of your doings. You can't keep looking at what you're doing as okay. You listen? Cease to do evil. Cease to do evil. Learn to do good. Seek justice. Rebuke the oppressor. Defend the fatherless. Plead for the widow. When Moses was up on the mountain getting the commandments of God and came back down and they had now made a false idol, a false God, what were they doing? The very things God told them not to do. Did they see anything wrong with that? What were they doing? Laughter, partying, 
And guess what God couldn't do for them? Help them. Why? Because they wanted to have a false God. Instead of the God that wanted to help them. Verse 18, come now. Notice this, let us reason together. So God's saying, if you're going to reason about any of this stuff, guess what you need help with? You need help with him showing you what he actually says about it. When he says reason together, he's talking about with him. Let's look at this from my perspective, in other words. Let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be what? White as snow. Wow. So I'm not doing that. God's going to do that. Though they are red like crimson, they shall be like what? Be as wool. Then he says in verse 19, if, underline, circle, or highlight the word if, you are willing and obedient, you shall what? Eat the good of the land. But if you refuse and rebel, you'll be devoured by what? Not by God, but by the sword, by the enemy, for the mouth of the Lord is spoken. If you're willing and obedient. Well, there you go, Pastor. i got to be willing and obedient. Obedience means, again, you need to do things in line with what God says is right or wrong in relationship to what would hurt your life or benefit your life. Any amens on that? But you got to do it what? Willingly. So here we go. The word willing means desire. Desire. You could be religious in obedience to God and still doing it with a wrong desire. Your desire, your heart's not into it. Listen, a lot of people in relationship to religion have served religion not because they really wanted to know God, Jacob generation. They just simply wanted to try to get God to do things that they wanted him to do. And so if I live in relationship to my God as to what I believe he says is significant and important ways, ways of religion, then I believe God will do what I want him to do. God's going to do everything he promised, but not because of what you have or haven't done but because of what Jesus did. Let's reason this out together. Your sins are scarlet, but they're going to be white as snow. You all know how that took place. Jesus accomplished that. Right? So, be willing and obedient. Meaning what? Maintain a desire to walk in obedience to what God says because you truly know it's the right way to do things. It's what God has said clearly is right or wrong in my life. And if I acknowledge that, I'm going by God's ways and not mine. I'm not creating an idol for me to worship. Amen? Go to Ezekiel 33. Ezekiel 33. So we, we got to view this the way God does. We can, and even relating to other people again, when we talk to other people about sin, if we know they're doing things that are harmful, I have a question. Uh, a person who in essence is committing sin, let's say in the area of homosexuality, are they going to go to hell? Are they going to go to hell? Is, that, is, that, is them committing homosexuality going to send them to hell? Let me say it that way. Nope. The Bible says they're going to go to hell because they did what? Rejected Jesus. Now, the Bible does say, see, a lot of Christians mix this up. You got to look at sin the way God does. A lot of people do say to homosexuals, well, you're not going to go to heaven. The Bible does say there'll be no homosexuals in heaven. But guess what else the Bible says won't be there? Liars. You ever told a lie since you've been born again? Uh-oh. You going to heaven or not? See, we get all caught up with the act of sin instead of helping people understand to see life the way God does and help them realize this is detrimental. This is harmful to your life. But God will help you to live the way he wanted you to live and get free from this. People who say, yeah, but I just happen to love them. No, you're lusting for them. You don't understand true love because the love that you need to understand is the only true love there is, and that's God's love. And yes, he loves us without condition in the sense that you don't have to prove anything for him to love you, but he loves you in a way that you obviously could not love yourself without his love being in your heart to begin with. Saying you love somebody because they're of your same sex and therefore you want to spend your life with them, nothing wrong if I want to love them, is simply saying, I'm going to live life my way. And instead of acknowledging what God says right or wrong, I'm going to create an idol to fit my world. Well, my God doesn't care if I actually have a homosexual relationship or not. Yes, he does. Why does he? Because there's all kinds of bad things that can result in that. It doesn't take much common sense to realize two men cannot create a baby, two women cannot create a baby. This ain't God's design. When you go by God's design, things work a whole lot better. A whole lot better. 
And honestly, one of the ways you got to understand this is that if I see things the way God does, I have compassion for these people. Why are they doing what they're doing? They're deceived. They're deceived. Well, they're doing it because they want to. Let me help you. Their flesh may have gotten in the position where they think they want it, but the truth is they've been deceived. Right? And this is something you and I got to understand. But when we come to talk to somebody about those kind of issues relating to eternity, that's not what keeps them from going to heaven. Get their heart changed and their heart will start convicting them pretty quick that this ain't the right lifestyle for me. Ezekiel 33, we tend to put the cart before the horse. By the way, if a believer sins, does that mean they're going to hell? Does that mean there's some bad person? You know know how many times we even in our mind judge other believers for what we see them do? You don't know if that's a stronghold in their life or not. You don't know if they're not convicted about it every single time they do it or not. And most of them, if they truly are sincere in their walk with God, are convicted about it. But if we keep condemning them for it, God's not even condemning them for it. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. A lot of people add, well, who do not walk according to the flesh, according to the spirit. That was added. What's condemnation according to that scripture? What does condemnation mean? The word condemnation means a judging of guilt of wrong for the purpose of punishing you. That's condemnation. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Why? You're going to escape the wrath of God to come. He's not exposing wrong to try to punish you. And under the context of the grace covenant we have with God, he's not punishing you. Right? You'll reap what you sow. If you keep sowing to the flesh, you're going to reap corruption. But God's not punishing you for your sin. We're going to see that in a minute. Ezekiel 33, verse 30. You with me? As for you, son of man, talking to Ezekiel as a minister to the people of Israel in his day, the children of your people are talking about you beside the walls, in the doors of the houses. They speak to one another. Everyone saying to his brother, please come and hear what the word is that comes from the Lord. Now, I'd love for my church to do that. There's nothing wrong with that statement right there. He's saying the children of Israel are going around telling everybody, you need to come hear the word of the Lord that Ezekiel has on his mouth. Nothing wrong with that. 31. So, notice this. So they come to you, as people do. They sit before you as my people. They hear your words, but they do not do them. Why? Why do they not do them? Underline it. For with their mouth they show much love, but their hearts pursue their own gain. So if my heart is pursuing what I want, what I want to get out of life instead of what? Here's the key. Stop pursuing what you want to get out of life. Relating to stuff, things, whatever. Can I help you? Guess what you need to pursue? God's face. Relationship with God. You're putting the kingdom first. All the things you have need of will be added unto you. When you get into pursuing stuff, gain, things that you want, guess where that's going to lead? That's going to lead to a wrong view of Scripture. Because now everything about the Bible is me getting something. Right? But that's not, that's not what our view should be. But he's saying in Ezekiel's day, this is their problem, Ezekiel. They come, they give you lip service, they show much love with their mouth, but guess what? Their hearts, do not, their hearts pursue their own gain. This is why they weren't doing what they should have done. We don't approach people to address the outward, well, you need to do this and do this and do this. What do we need to address? Is your heart chasing after God. Because if your heart's chasing after God, you're going to want to change the things outwardly. This is why years ago God told me, if your heart's desire is to pursue God and get to know him, you're going to be okay all the way to the end, as long as you keep chasing after that. It'll change what you do on the outside. See, we always try to look at the outside because that's what we're so accustomed to, but not even God does that. So we shouldn't. Verse 32, indeed, you are to them as a very lovely song to one who has pleasant, uh, pleasant voice. That means they were amen in the message and can play well on an instrument for they hear your words. But again, they do not do them. So when you only focus on you're not doing this, you're not doing that, you're not doing that. What's the real problem there? Where's your heart at? Is your heart chasing after God or is your heart ch- chasing after what you want out of life and you think through God you can get it? Oh my, yeah. You listening? If, if I'm chasing after stuff and I'm using God to get it, I'm not going to do everything God says. 
Because my heart's not set on him. My heart's set on the stuff. Right? Status of life, uh, things you want to have, relationships you want to, etc. No. If you chase after God with all your heart, let me help you. You're going to do good. Because I promise you it's going to affect what you do on the outside. So your heart's got to be set on God. Was David a man after God's own heart? Did he sin? He sure did. How about Bersheba incident? Sent her husband to the front lines of the battle to literally get him in a position where he knew he would die because uh, King David got to peering over the wall one day and all of a sudden had her come to the house, got her pregnant, and had to get rid of him. Did God forgive him? He did. You want to know why? Because he had a heart. Guess what? He got, he got, don't, don't get too hard on David. He wasn't even born again. Right? But did it change David's heart for God? No. He was totally repentant for what he did. He was brokenhearted for what he did. He just got his flesh in control. And he wasn't even uh, somebody who was born again to be able to have the spirit to help control him. He just allowed his flesh to take over. And in doing so, a lot of people judged David harshly for that. But God was still looking at David's heart. Did he pay some consequences for that? Yeah. Sin can be pretty consequential to your life. But guess what? God wasn't the one wanting that to happen. God wasn't the one bringing that about. Realize that David still had a heart after God and still finished well. Can I get a better amen? So understand, God's looking at what? At our heart. We got to recognize, is my heart set on him? If my heart's set on him, I'm going to see this the way God does. So in closing, go to 1 John 1. Am I helping you at all tonight? If nothing else, change how you deal with other people. Even, But I promise you this. Change how you deal with yourself. You know, don't beat yourself. If God's not beating you up, why are you? You can't get heaven's help by beating yourself up either. You, you got to recognize what Scripture says and stay humble to the degree. I do view what's sinful and wrong as what God says is sinful and wrong. But I also view what I'm about to read to you. I also view what God says I'm to do about it in relationship to my life. And that if I do what God says, guess what? He responds. Amen. I get heaven's help. Amen. Now, before I read these verses, let me just refer to something real quick real quick, that we've talked about many times in our church, that I guarantee you, I don't know how to put it better than our pastor puts it. God knows. I mean, God knows everything. He knows everything about your life. Do you know he knew you'd be here tonight? Do you know he knew exactly what kind of cake Kim would make tonight? Do you know he knew that? Do you know that he knew Kim would include ice cream with that, even if you didn't? Do you know he knew that? See, y'all want me to quit preaching now. Imagine how much God knows. God knows everything. Right? God knows everything. So as God truly knows everything about us, we got to understand that's not a, a bad thing in the sense like he knows everything about me, so I'm this horrible person. No, he's looking at your heart. He's not looking at the external person. And because he knows everything about you, guess what else he knows? He knows whether that sin has a hold of you and you don't like it. And you're trying to get free from it, but it's got a strong hold on your life. Or whether you got a hold of it and you can walk away, but you just choose not to. And you holding on to something that you choose not to let go of or don't call sin or say it doesn't matter because I'm saved by grace. In that area, not all of your life, in that area of your life, guess what you're not going to get? Heaven's help. Because you're not seeing it the way God does. Does that help you at all? 1 John chapter 1. So what does he say to us believers about uh, issues and dealing with sin in our life, seeing the way God does? Verse 5, this is the message which we've heard from him, Jesus. And we declare to you, God is light. What is he? <clears throat> he is light and in him is what? No darkness. No dark. Now you're going to see this. This relates to the difference between sin and not walking in sin. Amen. If we say we have fellowship with him, walk close to him, but we walk in darkness. Now I want you to understand that phrase. If I say that I'm close to God, fellowship, but yet I walk in darkness, guess what? You're lying. We lie and do not practice the truth. Why? I cannot say that I walk in close fellowship with God, and yet I choose to willfully walk in darkness and sin and say I'm close to God. Not possible. God's light. You listening? All he's saying there is you can't say that you're really close in fellowship with God if you're somebody who views sin in the way God does not. Walking in darkness is saying, I choose to do so because I enjoy it. 
I, I like getting drunk. I know people like getting drunk. I do. I know people like getting high. I know, like, I know people who like doing all kinds of, of misconduct in relationship to their life because they like what their flesh gets out of it. But in doing so, what are you doing? You're not walking in fellowship with God. You're walking in darkness. And you just, for you to say, oh, I'm close with God, and yet you're walking in darkness, that's not true. Because if you're walking close with God, guess, what the, guess what's going to happen? He's going to expose the darkness through the light. And you're going to obviously feel bad about it. And then he's going to help you get free from it. Verse 7. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we do have fellowship with one another, seeing things the way God does. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, does what? There's only one thing. There's only one thing that can cleanse you of all sin. And it's not you. It's the blood of Jesus. Why does he say... uh, uh, clean your hands up, sinner. View it the way God does and you'll get his help and he'll help you get free from it and help you overcome it. If we walk in the light as he's in the light, we have fellowship with one another. So what does that mean if I'm walking the light as he's in the light? I don't do things and call it okay when God says it's not. I don't willfully choose darkness and say, it really doesn't matter. God doesn't care. God doesn't sit that way. That's just a bunch of religious freaks you're listening to. Uh, I guarantee you to, to go contrary to what God says is light and choose to say that's okay, you're walking in darkness. You're not walking in close fellowship with God. But thank God we can walk in the light, seeing things the way God does. And in doing so, what do we get? Help from heaven. We get help from the blood of Jesus. Come on. That cleanses us from all sin. Verse 8, if we say that we have no sin, we do what? Deceive ourselves and the truth's not in us. Now this is written to believers. So there's a lot of people even today who are actually living in acts of sin that they don't think are acts of sin. And that's why they say, well, I'm not living in sin because they don't see it as sin. Verse 9, but if we confess our sin, if we do what? Say fess up. If we confess our sins, he is what? Faithful and just. To do what? Forgive us our sins. And to cleanse us from what? All unrighteousness. The word unrighteousness here means all sense of wrongdoing. He cleanses me from that. There's a power here that you get from God you can't get on your own. You can't get a sense of liberty or freedom from a sin you've committed by your own ability. You got to get it from God. God's the one that cleanses you of that sense of unrighteousness when you take hold of the truth of what he just said. That if you acknowledge it, recognize it, confesses it. Confessing sin means I don't act as if that's okay. And I don't say it doesn't matter because I'm saved by grace. A person who sees things the way God does from the heart, chasing him, not looking at life different than the way God does, seeing the way God does, when they sin, they know they're wrong. But what does the devil, then? even if you're in that sense, okay, that you know it's wrong, that's good. Say that's good. That's a good thing because you're seeing it the way God does. But then what does the devil still try to do? He tries to shame you to make you not come to God. Like God's mad at you and he's going to punish you. And he's about to tell you that's not true. The reason you need to confess it because what are you doing? When you acknowledge it to God, he's empowering you through forgiveness to know I'm still right with God. Amen. So what does he do for any sin we confess? He forgives us. Now, for years, people used to tell me when I started teaching this, you're giving people a license to sin. I said, wrong. If they want to sin, they're going to sin anyway. Doesn't matter what I preach, what I say, they're gonna want if they want to sin, <clears throat> preach preach hard against sin, they're gonna tell you it's not sin. So the truth is, if they have a heart to know God, telling people that if you'll confess that sin, he'll forgive you is not gonna give them a license to sin. No, it's gonna give them liberty from the very power of that sin to try to make them feel condemned. If I confess my sin, what does he say? He does. What does he do? He is faithful and just to do what? How many believe he does that? Absolutely. If he's forgiven me, what does that mean? Charges are dropped. Not holding it against you. Not not, wasn't going to anyway. But I release you. I forgive you. And I cleanse you from all sense of wrongdoing. Ten. If we say we've not sinned, we make him a liar. And his word's not in us. So again, that's just again not having a view of sin like God does. Saying, well, now you understand these verses. See, what does it mean if I say that I have not sinned, then we're making God a liar. If I say, oh, that's not sin, God doesn't care if I do that, you're making God a liar because you're saying something contrary to what God says. He's not done yet. 
Neither am I. I'm almost done. Chapter 2, verse 1. My little children. See, he's talking to believers. Listen carefully. These thi- listen, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. Excuse me? That I may not sin. Yeah, if you see it the way God does, you're not going to continue to do it intentionally and willfully because you know it's wrong. See, I was told you get a whole new view of this tonight of what God wants us to see. That if you understand this and what he's telling us, he's simply saying that you and I can know very clearly, I write so that you may, I say these things to you so you may not sin. Don't get a wrong view of sin because if you do, you're going to live in sin and think you're not. You see what he's saying now? You say you haven't sinned, but yet God says you have, and that's because you don't see it the way God does. And because you don't see it the way God does because you're not chasing God, you're chasing what you want. You're lying. God doesn't lie. Therefore, you're going to continue to sin. But if you don't do that, guess what? It's going to help you not to sin. You still with me? Moving on. But if anyone sins, how many know we still do at times? What's that mean? Miss the mark. But if anyone sins, guess what we have? Underline it. We have an advocate. We have an advocate with a father. What's his name? Tell me out loud, please. What's advocate? I love it, man. Has a bull, bull rider. It's a go-between. The advocate of the, for the bull rider is the bullfighter. Man, the PRC has got some of the top. I mean, they did in my day too. Some of the top bull riders in the world. These guys have no problem taking a hit from a bull to spare the bull rider. That's what they get paid for. I'm there to distract that bull. I'm there to get him off of you. Why? So even though you're the one that was on the back of the bull, even though you're the one that he, that bull really wants to get to, guess what he's going to do? He's going to take the hit for you. When you sin, even though you're the one that really should have taken the hit, even though you're the one that should really pay the price, Jesus said, nope, I'm your advocate. I take the hit. Amen. So if you sin and you confess it, you got to remind yourself of something else. What do I got to remind myself? I have an advocate. Next verse, powerful. He himself, this advocate is, underline it, he is what? The propitiation for our sins and not only ours, but also for the the whole world. For the whole world. So I've taught you this. What does propitiation mean? Jesus took the punishment my sin deserve. God is no longer punishing Daryl Baker when he sins. If God punishes me for sin that I commit today now, if he punishes me, what if you don't confess it? For him to still punish me would mean that Jesus did not fulfill what was needed through the work of propitiation to satisfy the wrath of God towards man's sin. But he did. He did. How do I experience the benefit of that in my life as a sense of knowing I'm not going to be punished? Confess it. God's not punishing you. You'll punish yourself. When we were at Good Guys, there was a gentleman I was talking to there. He had a couple different things he came to me and talked to me about. And this is one of the things that I love to minister to people that have a difficult time with this. He said, in my past uh, times of years of, of living, he said, I did some things in my life that were really bad, really, really bad. And he said, even though I've asked God to forgive me, he said, I just can't seem to get beyond it. Beyond it, He said, I just, I, I feel like I'm so horrible for what I did. Da, 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 da. I said, I have a question. You know, these verse, I opened the Bible and showed him these verses. I said, you know, these verses. Oh yeah. I said, so have you confessed it? Yeah. I said, what did God do? He forgave you. If he forgave you, guess what he's not doing? He ain't bringing it up anymore. Who in the world is bringing this up to you? Better believe it is. His eyes, you could see the light went on. And I said, it ain't, it ain't God bringing this up to you. The devil is. Do you believe the Bible? Yeah. Did he forgive you? Yeah. Did he cleanse you from all wrongdoing? Yeah. Then why are you still punishing yourself for it? Because I went on to read, very clearly you have an advocate. He is the propitiation for your sins. So he already bore your punishment, and you think God's still punishing you for it. Or God can't bless you. Or God can't do this, or God can't do that. Because he went on to say, I think, I think God's hindered in some ways of helping me because of what I did. I said, name one person Jesus healed under the New Testament that wasn't a sinner. Name one. Because all of them were sinners. Look at the miracles they got. Yes. 
Huh? Fed over 5,000. Because they earned it? Because they proved that they were deserving of it? No, you know why? Because they believed God could do it. And God was willing to do it. How about the miracle signs and wonders of actual eyes coming into existence, arms coming into existence, healings taking place. All those people were sinners. I said, son, I said, this isn't God doing this to you. And honestly, it's probably not even you doing it to you. It's the enemy continuing to cause you to feel bad about something that you should have, listen to me, that you should have forgiven yourself for. I said, if God forgave you, this isn't a problem with God anymore. It's a problem with you. And the devil's trying to make it a problem. I said, you know what you need to do? Forgive you. God forgave you. If God forgave you, can you not forgive you? That wasn't very good amens. If God forgave you, can you not forgive you? He said, I guess I can do it. I said, no, no guess. I said, you can. It's a choice. I said, I have a question. Are you to forgive others when they wrong you? Yeah. What does that mean? What does it mean you're to forgive them? You release the charges. You don't bring it back up. You let it go. You don't keep coming back and saying, don't you remember what you did? Da, 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 da. I said, forgiveness means you say, done, over with. I ain't bringing it back up. I said, you know that? I said, he said, yeah. I said, then do it with yourself. And thankfully, we prayed right there. And I prayed with him for him to forgive himself, and he did. And I said, don't ever let this come. If it, and don't, don't, don't misunderstand me. The devil's going to come back and try to get you to take it back again. But guess what you do now with the Word of God? No, I'm not only forgiven by God, I forgave myself. God's not punishing me. Ready? Here's the last truth. So why am I? Why are you punishing yourself if God's not? Do you really think by punishing yourself, making yourself feel horrible for what you did, somehow that's going to cause you to earn points with God and get God's help? No. You're just being taken advantage of by the devil, and that's going to hinder your faith in God. And guess what you're not going to get? Heaven's help. So to clean your hands, you sinners, does not just mean get sin out of your life. It means that you've got to look at the heart behind why you do what you do. If understandably I know something that the Bible says is sin is sin, I don't try to paint it over as if it's not and say it's okay and lift up my soul to an idol and make a God to fit me. I don't say because I'm saved by grace that I can do anything I want because all I got to do is ask for forgiveness and God will forgive me. Well, he will, won't he? Did he put any precondition on that? No, he just said if you confess the sin, not what he said? He'll forgive you. But the truth is, to continue on and on and on, knowing that it's wrong, you're somebody who truly does not see uh, sin the way God does, and therefore you're going to continue to do something that's wrong. Last thing I need to deal with, which is not going to any verses, what if it's a stronghold? What if it's something that has a hold of me? I don't have a hold of it. It has a hold of me. you got to get weapons available to, to deal with that. 2 Corinthians 10, you can write it down. 2 Corinthians 10, 3 through 5, tells you you have weapons to deal with strongholds. Now, we could teach on it, you know, all night for the rest of the night. I could go another hour, talk about dealing with strongholds, but here's the key to strongholds. Guess who you got to get an answer of what weapon you need to use? God. Go to God. God knows exactly what weapon to use. Amen? And he might have to have used more than one. We got weapons. We got a Bible full of weapons. These are words full of weapons. That's the primary place we start, sort of the spirit. So it's just like this guy, right? So here's this guy beating himself up, condemning himself and everything. How do we overcome? And and honestly, think about it. If I'm beating myself up and condemning myself, isn't that a sin? Yes, it is. You're missing the mark with God because God's not even doing that to you. So how do I overcome that? Real simple. You take the word of God. You take a weapon that God gave you called the word and you use what we just read you that I am not only forgiven, it is released by God. He's not punishing me. Jesus bore my punishment for that. Can I get a better amen? Amen. Don't ever tell a believer God's punishing them for their sin. He is not. When he goes on to say he's the propitiation for the whole world, what the world needed to get free from the wrath to come, Jesus has already provided Already done it. You don't go to sinners and say, oh, you bunch of sinners. Man, you're going to hell. God's mad at you. No, Jesus dealt with that anger. Now, that anger is going to come back in the way of judgment in the time of tribulation. Yes. But the point is, he's already dealt with that towards people. If they'll receive Jesus, man, guess what they do? They get in on it. 
They get in on what you've already got in on. Meaning what? God's already provided the propitiation for my sin. Jesus already bore my punishment. I don't have to face it. Aren't you glad about that? Did you get anything tonight? Shout amen. We pray that you are blessed by the message Pastor Baker shared with you today. For more spiritual resources that can help you in your walk with God, or to invite Pastor Baker as a guest speaker, just go to our website at cffchurch.com. You will find additional teachings by video, audio, and printed resources that will be a blessing to you. May God's very best be yours.